many are ready to get into the, the Word of God today? Amen. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. And if you got it, if you would stand to your feet, it's also on the screen this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. I'll give you just a moment. This is what the Word of God says today. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray today that as we dive into your word and the realities of who you are, God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and our minds and let your word become reality to us in our life. Let it come alive in our spirit. Let it be something that leads us and guides us daily. Lord, I pray that we would leave here different than how we came in, transformed by your word, because you said that my word that goes forward shall not return void. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. This is a powerful, powerful scripture, and it's a common scripture for this time of year. It's, it's a prophecy that Isaiah has given uh, concerning the birth of Christ. And uh, if, if I've learned anything is that sometimes familiarity with scripture oftentimes leads to some level of complacency towards Scripture. In other words, we, uh, we hear something so many times, especially this time of year, and we kind of have an expectation of hearing of the Christmas story and hearing Scriptures regarding the Christmas story and, and the coming of Jesus as a baby. And we, we kind of get our mind uh, in, in a place where it's almost like we're so expecting of it that sometimes we miss out on the power of it. If you, if you are somebody that reads the Christmas story on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with your family or even just by yourself for your devotional time, I think sometimes we just get lost in, in how familiar we are with Scripture that sometimes we, 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 because we've heard it so many times, we just forget the power of what's really being said. And, and I think this is one of those Scriptures because we, we've kind of reduced it in our minds to just, oh yeah, that's right, Isaiah's telling us that Jesus is coming as a baby. And he's telling us the, the, the identity of him as he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What, how beautiful, how cute is that? But I, I think sometimes we need to understand that, <clears throat> excuse me, even though Jesus came as a baby, he did not stay a baby. When he came to this earth all tender and mild, that there was... There was so much power that was laying in that manger on that holy night of his birth. There was so much glory that was radiating from there that in such a common, dirty stable, in, so, in a place where, where things were just not right and Mary and Joseph were struggling there, there was so much power in that moment and such a great and mighty gift that has been given to us. You see, it tells us, for unto us a child is born and a son is given. 
a son is given. I mentioned earlier in the, in the worship service that this is not a gift that we earned. It's not a gift that we deserve, but rather it is something that has been given to us. The famous scripture, John three sixteen, tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall never perish but have eternal life. He, it was given to us. You see, God certainly had every right and all the ability to just smite the earth and be done with us that moment Adam and Eve fell in that garden. But because he had such a great love for his creation, for his people, that he, he spent the time knitting together in their mother's womb and informing Adam and Eve out of the dust and out of a rib that, that he had so much love and, and, and dedication to us that he was willing to give up his one and only son for us. I think sometimes we we lose that sense of gift to us, of what has been given to us. How many have ever, I think I've asked this a couple weeks ago, but how many have a gift that you have been given that maybe you even still have today that you got at Christmas time? Does anybody have a gift that has survived? A few of you do. And there are some gifts that you just cherish so deeply in your heart and you cling so tightly to because it means so much. Excuse me again. This is one of those gifts that should be so cherished in our hearts. Because again, it's, it's a gift like that gift that you got, you may have even asked for it. You may have even desired it in your heart. But the scripture teaches us that while we were enemies with God, because we got to understand that at one point in our life, we were enemies with God. When we were sinners, we were opposed to God's law which made us an enemy of him. That he looked at us and said, I'm going to give you a gift that is going to redeem you from that mess. And I don't want us to ever lose sight of the importance of this gift that we were given. He is a son of God. He is the son of God. And he gave up his life as the son of God so that way we could become sons and daughters of God ourselves. It's such a powerful gift this time of year. So one of the names that he is called is Son. He is the Son of God. The Bible goes on to tell us that the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I think sometimes we, uh, we look at this through a political lens rather than a spiritual lens. You know, at that time, there's, a, there's been corruption in government throughout all of history. There's been bad men and women in power forever. That's nothing new. That's, that's always been the case. And it's not even talking about that government. He's talking about the government of the kingdom of God. He came here to establish a kingdom, a kingdom mentality, a kingdom mission, a new way of life, a new government that is not like the governments of the world, but rather it is a kingdom that doesn't have a president, it doesn't have a dictator, but rather has a king of kings and lord of lords that sits on the throne. It's not, it's, it's, it's not like what we have. He was not elected into office. He was not voted into office. He was not appointed into office, but rather he always has been the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. And when he came to this earth, he said, 
Here is a new government for you to follow. Not, not that we are to totally disregard the powers that be because the Bible teaches us that God has placed people there above us in, in authority, but rather there is a, a, a kingdom that we live for, that we, that we serve that is not like the kingdoms and governments of this world. And when he came to this place and he came to this earth, he was establishing a kingdom life. A life of pursuing him, pursuing his law, his holiness, his righteousness. We talked about a few weeks ago that if we, if we were to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness above all else, then all these things shall be added to us. In Matthew chapter 6, it teaches us that there is a kingdom that is established on this earth, and it is the kingdom of God, and it operates differently than any other government because it is not corrupted, it is not damaged, it is not weak, it is not full of lying politicians and liars and cheaters. It's, it's full of holiness and righteousness and peace. The Holy Spirit, it is full of God's love, and it is his power that rules in this kingdom. And when Jesus came to this earth, it was for our salvation, yes, but he was also establishing a kingdom for us to walk in and pursue, a way of life for us. And so he is the governor, the king of that kingdom. The Bible goes on to teach us in this scripture that he is to be called while on this earth, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. You see, he came to this earth to be the sacrificial son of God, to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to establish a kingdom government, a heavenly kingdom government. But he also came to be something for us and represent something to us that would build us up and make us more like him. Give us something to look to, something to hold on to, a hope to hold on to. And through his work as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, we can have that hope today. He came as wonderful counselor. He came full of wisdom. Many times if you read in the New Testament and the Gospels, we find Jesus speaking and teaching many times over and over again where he leaves people speechless. He leaves people astounded. The Bible says that when he was just a young boy, he was teaching in the temple, and people were, were astounded by his wisdom. They were astounded by the way that he handled the scrolls, the word of God that had been written down at that time, and they, they were just left in awe. And, and there was moments in time where, where he was teaching, and the people would say, he teaches like one with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches on a whole nother level. He came with such a powerful wisdom and a, and a powerful insight because he was the word of God made flesh. He, he, he wasn't just well educated. He embodied everything that the word of God is. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to this earth to represent and embody everything that is God and in his nature and his word. How many know today that if uh, you are sick and ill and in need of medical care, you don't want somebody to hand you a medical book? You don't want somebody to give you a, a if, you, if you're bleeding out on the ground and because you had some traumatic injury, you don't want somebody to just give you a book on how to stitch yourself up. You just want a doctor to come take care of you. 
when you are in a moment of just losing everything and you are falling apart physically, you don't want somebody to hand you a, a help me book, a self-help book, a, a how to feel better for dummies book. What you want is somebody to be a doctor and come meet you where you're at and care for you because you can't in that period of time get enough information in, in, such, in that moment of desperation. You just need somebody to come and rescue you from yourself. If your car broke down and you are not a mechanic, you don't want somebody just to hand you a book that says how to fix your car. You want somebody who is a mechanic and encapsulates the things that are in those books to come and fix your car for you. That would be the easy way out. The doctor does not just read the book and figure it out as he goes. He he has spent time studying and, and becoming those instructions in a sense to where he knows how to help you in your time of need. That is who Jesus was to us on this earth. All of the principles we read of the prophets, all of the stuff we read in the Old Covenant, when he came in in the Gospels, and even now today, he encapsulated everything that God is and, and all of the words that were written down on those scrolls at that time, and he became that for us. So that way, when we were in a time of desperation, we don't have to try to, to, to do a Where's Waldo book and try to figure out all the solutions ourselves, but rather he is the solution for us. When when we are sick and in need, he is the provider. He is the healer. We don't, we don't have to go searching for everything, and we don't have to go wandering and wandering, trying to figure it all out, but rather we can just go to him as he is the source. He is everything that we need. When we read the pages of Scripture, he jumps out at us, and the words come alive for us, so that way we can apply it to our life in a way that brings us more life, as the Scripture says that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. He is the wonderful counselor full of wisdom as he represents everything that God has ever declared and has ever said. Psalm 92.5 tells us, How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. And, and there's plenty of other places in Scripture today that talk about his ways higher than ours and his thoughts higher than ours. You see, we need to understand today that as he is the wonderful counselor, he gives us wonderful wisdom. He gives us good. It's not cheap, knockoff, fortune cookie wisdom. It is life-changing, transformative wisdom that we can have for our situations in our life. He is wisdom. And he came to this earth as the wonderful counselor. I wish I could have walked the earth the time Jesus was walking the earth. I wish I could have sat in because we get just a we get the highlight reel in the gospels. Uh, one writer said that there there is more that Jesus did than could ever be written down in all the pages of all the books of the world. There is so much more that he did that was not written down. And, and I would love to have seen some of those things. I would love to have experienced some of those things because there is so much wisdom in just what we got. I wonder how much more there could have been. There, there is infinite wisdom to have from God. Every time I open my Bible and I read, I could read one story a thousand times and every time the Lord speak to me something different. 
There is so much wisdom, and yet we neglect this wisdom. We neglect the counsel of God because we want to try to figure it out on our own. We don't ask, what would Jesus do? We just say, what should I do? What do I think is best for myself? When in reality, if we would just open up his word, if we would get on our knees and pray, he would be wonderful counselor for us today, and he would share with us the wisdom that we need to make the right decision that will lead us towards righteousness and holiness and to conform us more more into the image of Christ and lead us through to the other side. We need him as wonderful counselor, and he came to this earth to establish his counsel through the life that he lived. He embodied the word of God while he was here and astounded people with his wisdom and is still astounding people to this day. Because he is the wonderful counselor, we don't have to wonder and worry, but rather we can know and be confident. We, we don't have to be anxious, and, and we don't have to be wondering where, where things are going to come from and what's going to happen next. He's already kind of laid the foundation for us to know that if we cling to him, he's got it all worked out for us. And he leads us in that wisdom one step at a time. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 9, 6, that he is also mighty God. See, not only does he give us the wisdom, but he also can provide the power. Because wisdom without the ability to act on it usually doesn't work. You can know the right thing to do, but if you don't have the ability to do it, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother issue in and of itself. You might know that you need new brakes on your car, but if you don't have the ability to fix it, it does you no good. You might know that you are sick and in need of medical care, but if you don't get yourself to a doctor, if you can't get yourself the help that you need, then that's, that wisdom and that, that knowledge doesn't do you much good. But you see, we serve a God that doesn't only give us the what to do, the how to do it, the, the wisdom that we need to walk through it, but he also provides us with great power because he is mighty God. There is nothing that our God cannot do. Nothing is impossible with God. You see, we look at him again as this little baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and we go, oh, that's so precious and so cute. But we miss out on the fact that in that moment, even as a baby, he, he is full of God's might and of his power and of his strength. And as he grows up physically, that power becomes to a point where he begins to release that power into the world and he begins to work in ways and raise the dead, make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, cleanses the leper, heals and, and, and casts out demons and does all kinds of mighty powerful works because he is the mighty God. And he never stopped being mighty God. 
he is still mighty God today. And you see, we, we, we might even know the wisdom is there, and we're like, okay, that's good knowledge, Lord, but is it really going to happen? Can it really happen? And, and we look at the world we live in today, and, and we look at things falling apart. Some of us worry about where our next meal is going to come from, and we worry about the economy. We worry about the wars going on in other countries right now. We get worked up about all of these things, but and we wonder, God, are you able to take care of this? I, I want you to understand today that we don't serve a God who's sitting up in heaven worried, panicking, talking to the angels, saying, what, are, what in the world are we going to do? I don't know what to do about all of this. As he is wonderful counselor, he already knows what to do. And because he is mighty God, he has the power to do it. You see, as, as it is easier said than done, I try to cling to these types of realities of Scripture. And when I have successfully clung to them, because it's not always successful, sometimes the worry still creeps in. If we're going to be honest today, sometimes the doubt still creeps in and you need the reminder that he's mighty God and wonderful counselor. Sometimes we still need that reminder today if we're going to be honest, amen? And and when we look at these moments and when we look back on our lives and the testimony that many of us have lived through, we can honestly say that in our deepest, darkest moments, he has been mighty God for us. And if he's been mighty God before, he is still mighty God now, and he will be mighty God in the future. He's got it all worked out. He has a plan, and he has the power to carry that plan out. And not only is he going to do the work because we don't serve a limp, weak God. We don't serve a cowardly God. We serve a mighty God. The Bible teaches us that not only can he do it himself, but he will empower us to walk through things as well. Ephesians 6.10 tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In, in, his, in the reality that he is mighty God, we can find strength for ourselves. And it says, stand in that strength. Stand in his might. Take courage because he is mighty God. And when you have relationship with him, you have connection and you have access to him that you wouldn't have otherwise. He equips us with the weapons that we need to fight the battles. He gives us the strength that we need to carry on where most people couldn't keep going. He gives us the power that we need to conquer those giants. He gives us the strength that we need to climb those mountains. He gives us the endurance that we need to run the race because he is mighty God. And when we stand in that reality for ourselves, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished. There is nothing inside of God's will that cannot be done for our lives because he is mighty God still today. And so we can take encouragement in that. We can find peace in that because we don't have to worry, can God do it? Not only can he, but he will. You see, he's also not just wonderful counselor and mighty God, but he is also the everlasting father. The idea of a, of a father is, for some people, is hard to grasp because some people do not know their fathers. Some people 
had fathers who were not good. And even if you had a good father, he was still imperfect. And, so, and that blurs our vision to see the goodness of God as a father. But we need to understand today that everywhere our earthly fathers may have fallen short, God stands in perfection. Everywhere that we've been abandoned in our life, God stands in those gaps and is right there with us because he is a perfect father, an everlasting father. He gives the protection and the provision that a father brings. He gives the care and the love that a father gives. He's right there with us in our darkest times, in our greatest needs. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, it, it's interesting that if you read in the Old Testament, you don't really, you never see anybody call God Father. He's called by a lot of names. If you go look at the old Hebrew, he's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. If you go look, he's called by a lot of names, but he is never called Father until the New Testament. It's so interesting to me. It's because of this, this gap that was there created by sin that the relationship we had with God was, was very, very, there was like this, this, this chasm that stood between us called sin. And, and it was like he was holy God, mighty God, and we had all these sacrifices and only the priests could go into the holy of holies. And, and there was so much barrier between us and God at that time. Even though he loved his people, he protected his people, but because of his holy and our sin as humanity, we, we couldn't get close to him like we can today. I find, I find this so interesting because it's like when Jesus came as the son, when he took on our sin, he became everything that was evil and wrong about us. The Bible says he bore our sin on that cross. He became sin for our sake. The one who knew no sin became sin and died. He, what happened was is, is the, the Father became God to the Son so that way God could become Father to the sinner, us. Jesus made himself sin so that way our relationship with God is not God and creation but rather Father and Son and Father and Daughter. And the Bible tells us that we were adopted into his kingdom, and now we cry out because of that spirit of adoption, and we call him by a new name. It's not just Jehovah Jireh, although he is. It's not just Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi. It's not just those things anymore, but now we can call him Abba Father. We now can call him by a new name because of the work that Jesus did. And we have access to God, not just as God Almighty and not just the God and the judge and the creator of the universe, but rather he is heavenly father to us. It is a name and it is, and it is an access that did not exist before Christ came on this earth. Because he came to this earth, he created this relationship where now we call him Father. such a powerful thing that we take for granted that we can call God Father. That's crazy to think about. When you put it into perspective that he is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of us. Every living thing on this earth he has created. 
he, he, he has the power in an instant to destroy it all if he wanted to, but chose not to. He has all this power, all this might, all, all this wisdom, all, but yet he says to us, you are my son, you are my daughter. Th- that, that is so powerful to me. And we should never take that for granted. We should never take for granted that kind of love that God has for us, that he looks at us as his children. And if you have children, if you have grandchildren even, you understand what it's like to look at your child and the love you feel for them. That same love that you feel for your child, and I hope that love is great, God's love for us is still so much greater that's the relationship we have because of Christ. The Bible tells us finally that he is also prince of peace. He came to this earth not not just for us to have peace within ourselves, but also to give us peace with God. We do have peace within ourselves, and we need to understand that today that God came to this earth and because of who he is, because of his wonderful counselor title, because of his mighty God title, because of his everlasting father, and we can take confidence in those realities, and that should bring us peace. We should have peace in the reality that God has the answers and will give them to us. We should take peace in the reality that he is mighty God and he will stand and give us the strength when we need it. And that should give us peace. We should stand in the reality that he is our everlasting father, that he loves us more deeply than we could ever understand or comprehend, that he is there for us in ways that we could never understand or comprehend. We should be able to hold on to those realities, to those, those truths, and find peace in those things. Even if everything else is falling apart around us, we have a God within us. We have a God who sits in heaven and has a relationship with us that can hold all things together, that can hold us together. We have a God we can trust with our life, and those realities should give us peace. And we should have peace within us because of those things. We should have peace in our situations in the midst of a storm. We, we serve the God who can calm the raging seas and the winds and the rains and the thunder of lightning just by speaking, peace be still. We serve a God that in the midst of a bad diagnosis that he can speak healing and, and we can be healed in a moment. We serve a God that when we don't know how the, the bills are going to get paid, that we serve a God who is a great provider and who, who has created all things and holds the power for all things and has the cattle on a thousand hills and can provide in anything that we need in a moment. We should take peace in those realities. We should take peace in those realities. But we also need to understand today that the greatest peace of all is the peace we have between us and God. I mentioned earlier that there was a time as sinners when we were God's enemy. Romans 8 says that. 
I know that seems like an extreme thing to be considered God's enemy, but the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that to have a carnal mind, a.k.a. a sinful mind, creates enmity or an enemy relationship with God because it's against God. Our sinful nature creates in us a rebellious spirit that goes against the God of the universe. It creates in us a a hatred for what is holy and what is righteous. And it causes us, when we are sinners and have a carnal mind, to serve our flesh, to serve our sinful desires, and to chase after things that are not of God. That is the reality of sin. And it makes us, it makes ourselves an enemy of God. Now, the good news is, is we serve a patient, loving, kind God that loves his enemies. And even though we have made ourselves an enemy, we still have time to make ourselves a child of God. We still have time to be transformed by his grace and his mercy to be a child of God and not no longer be considered an enemy. You see, when God chases his enemies down, being the sinners, he is not looking to destroy us. He's not looking to slaughter that enemy. He's looking to save that enemy. You see, we think the the reality of being an enemy of God is like really harsh because our our instant thought is, is like, I thought God loves everyone. Yes, he does. That's why he hasn't slaughtered everyone. That's why we are still alive and have breath in our lungs and he hasn't wiped out the entire earth yet because the Bible says that he is not slow concerning his promises as you might consider him slow, but rather he is patient toward us, desiring that all should reach repentance. He's holding off his wrath. He's holding off his judgment because he loves us so much that even though we have made ourselves enemies because of sin as mankind, generally speaking, he's looking at us saying, I love my enemy. I love you too much as a sinner. The Bible says that rarely a good man would lay down his life for someone uh, that is good. Rarely would that happen, but God looked at us while we were still sinners and died for us. He looks at us, sees that we have become enemies because we are opposed to his law and his will because of our sinful nature and says, I desire to have peace with you. I desire our relationship to be that of peace, not of fighting. And he doesn't stand there with judgment and a sword and an and, and army trying to hunt down his enemy to destroy them, but rather he's running after us, shedding his own blood that we could be saved. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came as an agent of peace for salvation. He came so that we could have peace with God, that that there would be a way for us to be saved. Eventually, the time will run out, and God's patience will come to an end, and he's going to say, it's time now to bring those who belong to me home. 
and to cast judgments. We don't like talking about that stuff. We'd rather pretend like it doesn't exist. But the reality of it is, is there is going to come a day, whether in this, in this time of us on earth or whether it be generations from now, there is going to come a time where God is going to come and judge the earth for its sin. That day is coming. And I'm not, I'm not usually an end times eschatological preacher type of guy. It's not usually my thing, although it is very important and it has its place. The reality of it is, is that day is coming and Jesus came so that way we don't have to face that judgment. When we stand before God because of the work Jesus did, because his name is called Prince of Peace and we have faith in him, we can stand before God and God doesn't look at us as enemy and sinner, but rather he looks at us as son and daughter and friend. You see, this Christmas season is so much more. Like, we, every year it's like the season comes and goes so quick. This morning I looked at Mackenzie and I told her, I said, December's already halfway over. I said, I feel like we just started yesterday. Like, next Sunday is Christmas Eve already. I felt like we were just celebrating 4th of July. And it just comes and goes so quickly. And we, we, I think we often neglect to really understand and take to heart what really happened on that beautiful Christmas Eve night. It, it just... Is something that weighs so heavy on me every year, and we've even taken some steps back and slowed down the Christmas season for us personally. It used to be a lot busier than it is now. It used to be full of a lot more material items. It used to be full of a lot more. Oh, we gotta buy this. We gotta buy that. We gotta go do this. We gotta we gotta bake this and do. And we we've slowed it down. We've cut way back on all of those things because we've realized how unimportant those things are. And we've chosen to focus more on the time with the people we love and the real reason for it all, which is Jesus. Yes, there's, there's still gifts and Christmas celebration, but not like it used to be. It's not the highlight anymore. It's not the main event anymore. It's more like a little side journey. It's still fun. But I've said I don't care if I get anything for Christmas anymore. That's just not what matters to me. I feel like I hit the age of 30 and just everything changed in my mind. Some of that is I don't remember stuff anymore. But I want, I want us to understand today what really matters this time of year. And I know I've said it already a few times, and I'm probably going to say it at least one more time next week, but I need us to understand today that, like, this is really what it's all about. This is what we really come together and celebrate. 
that we serve a wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And we have full access to that through Christ and what he did. Will you bow your heads with me today?